welcome to the Living Ageless and Bold podcast. Each episode, I bring you amazing women who inspire, educate, and share their experiences and journeys along the way. So grab a glass of wine or a cup of coffee, find a cozy spot, and let's relax and have some fun hearing what can be accomplished after 55. Hey, everybody. Super, super interesting topic that we're going to have today. Um, We've talked about it a little on some past episodes, um, but my guest today is Erica Keswin. She is a workplace strategist, and we've talked a lot about women in the workplace over 50. Um, She has written three Wall Street Journal bestselling books. Let's see, Bring Your Human to Work, Rituals Roadmap, and The Retention Revolution, Seven Surprising and Very Human Ways to Keep Employees Connected to Your Company. Uh, which is very important in our post-COVID world. Welcome, Erica. I'm so glad you're here with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So it's been an interesting conversation uh, that we've had with with various guests. And really, I'm, I'm 56 and I ha- have a lot of friends. I, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life kind of accidentally, but my friends in corporate who are 51, 52, who are getting pushed out. I mean, they are getting laid off. Uh, which is astounding to me because we have so much to bring to the workplace. But I want to talk to you more about that. Like, why don't they get it? (laughs) Why don't they get the value that we have? Uh, It is kind of crazy. This just happened to someone I know where she and a couple of other colleagues got pushed out. And I've been hearing this more and more. Um, And I am surprised. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised on it. But, you know, we're live in general, right? We have many, many... Um, four to five generations working under one roof in some cases. People are living longer and working longer. And so 51, 52, 55, we got a lot of years left. And the other thing that this friend of mine said at the time when she was dealing with this, she said, you know, I'm an empty nester. I have so (laughs) much time on my hands. I can travel. I don't have to be at soccer practice and a pickup. So I don't I don't really get it. Um, you know, in a positive way, though, I think that the other thing that will allow smart companies to leverage all of these different generations is technology, that you can use the technology to swap ships. You can use the technology to figure out a way to maybe have some people that did retire that want to dip their toe back in, you know, or maybe they're reluctant retirees that they don't want to retire because they feel like they're going to miss out on that purpose. But there's a way to keep them connected to the company just a couple days a week in a way that works for everybody. So I don't know. I think it's a lot of missed opportunities right now. Right. And I mean, is there anything we can do? Like, like I said, I have so many friends and you obviously are running into this too. Uh, and, and being a lifelong entrepreneur, when I met my husband, he came from a very conventional family. His dad was a banker. His granddad was a banker. And I'm like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. And I used to always say to him, you know, Steve, don't worry. I- I'll get a job. I can, I can go find a job. This is not going to be hard. And now 30 years later, and I'm 56, I'm like, oh, I don't know that I can go find a job anymore. Like, good thing this entrepreneurial thing worked out for me. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, let's say you're, like you said, empty nester. So many of my friends are like, they're ready to go to work, to have a purpose. Uh, You know, when you go to these interviews, you know, how can you stand out so they're not, you know, poo-pooing you that you're, what are you, you're over 50 and you want a job? Like, 
Is there a way to stand out? Well, I think it's a tricky time to, it depends on obviously what the role is and what, like if you, right. if you, if you have spent your career building up the depth of expertise, either within an industry or with a function, you know, I would lead with that because at the end of the day, if there's certain things to do and you have the expertise to do it, um, you know, that will at least get you in the door and then be having the conversation. And then I would consider, you know, almost addressing the elephant in the room to say, look, I know you might have a lot of different candidates, but here's the deal. You know, it's, it's, I plan on working for, for the foreseeable future and I have nothing keeping me around. So I am flexible. You need me to get on a plane. I can get on a plane. You need me to stay late. I can stay late. And I think it's a shift in thinking. And maybe, you know, we need to chat on a different day when we're not recording a podcast. But I think we need to start sharing these stories and we need to find these women, share the stories of where they did take these roles and they just crushed it Um, because I think it's just the beginning. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and the great thing is women our age aren't afraid to walk in a room and say that where I mentor so many college students and just trying to get them through that first interview when they are just a wreck. Like they just, you know, I remember my daughter is 23 and she had her interview and she called and she's like, mom, they didn't ask me anything work-related. It was just this really cool conversation. And I said, oh, you got the job. And she's like, no, 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 no. It was just weird. Like they, you know, these kids just think that an interview has to be this question and this question. And if you don't have that, they're like, oh, I didn't get the job. Where, as we know, for, you know, you have the job or people, like it's people who lead people who run projects. Um, You've got to be able to be personable in a work setting. Yeah, no, I I agree hundred percent. So I think we need, we need to make the case. Yeah. We need to make the business case. I like that. I like that. Maybe we'll do a whole podcast just, just on bringing these amazing women out into the forefront. I know your expertise is technology. And again, I have kids at that age, 23 and 25. So seeing how they are experiencing this, the new workforce. Um, and we do have a lot of younger people who listen too. So this is great. You yeah. know, we've got the over 50s, but then we're inspiring a lot of younger people too. But I know my son graduated in May 2020 and had a job in finance in New York. We all know what happened with New York. And he lived at home for eight months, not knowing when he was going to be called to New York. So he couldn't even find roommates and you know, yeah. live in the DC area. And so he he and then he was the first wave in. He was like, I want to go in, I want to see people. And we keep talking to so many people. We ran into one of his friends who's now out of college three years, has never met anyone he works with. Like never personally met anybody. So I'd love to know, you know, yes, we have technology, we have this, we have Zoom, but what's going to happen to our, our workforce if, if we don't have this human engagement and interaction? You know, I'm seeing a shift of people of all ages wanting to not be in the office five days a week, but, you know, I'm, I'm actually working on this article right now. It's almost like the human case of leaving for leaving the house. You know, number one, people are lonely and isolated. Number two, the friend session um, that, you know, people aren't connecting and making friends with people. Number three, they're not developing on the job because, you know, they're not, you know, that the old back in the day apprenticeship model where I watched you and I learned from hearing and seeing you. It's just it's just different and having these spontaneous conversations. 
And so, you know, I, I'm a very big believer in designing days in the office that are worth the commute, that we don't need people coming in. You know, if, if a company has a strategy where you're coming in a couple of days a week, what we don't want is people, you know, saying to all the young people, okay, come in and everybody just be on your laptops in your own corners, not connecting. Right. With anyone. Right. And you might bump into somebody in the elevator and okay, that's fine. But it's really about curating connection on those days and realizing that the bonding and the connecting is part of the work. Um, having set times to do learning and development, having set times to do your one-on-one and doing your strategy work and really just being strategic about what kinds of work should you be doing when you're in person? Which which should you be doing when you're not in person? That all, though, would require people being co-located near an office. So it's start, it's starting with looking at your business strategy and your people strategy. And I had one company that made a statement saying, okay, we're coming back in the office three days a week. And then they looked around and they're like, oh, shoot, 30% of our people were COVID transplants and moved. So... Um, you know, I think that that is, you, you really have to start with that. And then I have other companies saying, look, we now realize that we've, we're seeing a degradation of our culture. And that as we hire people going forward, we're going to make sure they live within a certain radius and let it, unless it is such a unique skill set that we can't find this person. Yeah. It's, it's so important. I told both my kids that my daughter actually wanted a job where she went in five days a week and they're pretty flexible, you know, Four days. They're they're fine with that. And and my son, like I said, he he took that first wave in. He, you know, got the um the COVID shot right when it came out so he could go in. And I mean, you're talking Wall Street, and here's a kid who just got out of college, and this whole middle group didn't show up. So he had access to like his boss's bosses. I mean, you you can't trade that for anything. I mean, that I said you're connected with these people forever now to have access that you never would have had. And it's really important for, you know, the people are like, yeah, I don't want to go in that uh, my, my husband was um, in a group with an attorney and the attorney said, you know, if I'm walking down the hall, I'm going to grab the associate in the office right there to work on this case versus going on zoom, picking up the phone, who wants to work on this. So those people are going to advance a lot faster, whether we like it or not, there's a reality to that. Yeah, but okay, so but agree, but let's talk about this then because what what I worry sometimes is that yes, you're going to grab the associate next to you, proximity bias is real. And then we're also talking about all these women. So one of the things I think about a lot is if you have a company that again, let's say has a 3-day week policy of coming into the office and more of the women are taking advantage of that flexibility and coming in for the 3 days and let's say more of the men are coming in for five days. Um, one of the things I worry about is fast forward, there's going to be this huge, um, you know, increasingly large gap between, you know, how the women can move ahead. So one of the things I, I think about is we need to, proximity bias is real. Um, I do think depending on where you are in your career, you want to err on the side of showing up in person. That being said, we need to almost rethink the systems of how we give out projects to make sure that all of the projects are not just given out based on bumping into somebody or, or grabbing the person in the office next to you. That if we say we have a certain policy and certain people given their own, could not, it might not, might not just be women with kids, but you know somebody with elderly parents or whatever sure. it is, 
that we need to say, great, this is, this is the flexibility. This is what we're offering it, but let's also make sure that we, that we are thinking about this through the lens of equity in terms of how we're giving out projects. And I know you consult with a lot of huge companies. I saw there's some amazing logos on your website. Are you seeing this? Like, like what trends are you seeing in the workplace now, you know, almost two years post COVID? Specifically as it relates to the flexibility piece? Yeah. Just, just in like, what are the trends, you know, are more people coming in, you know, than Twitter X and nobody's coming in the office anymore. And then everybody's coming in and are you seeing this hybrid more and is it working maybe better than what we had before COVID? It's so tricky because you try to get data on this stuff and there's so much yeah. clickbait as it relates to the articles and the studies because everybody wants you to think, you know, they post something, no one's going in and we're being made to go in and all this stuff. You know, I think that, um, you know, most companies will be hybrid in some way, shape or form. I think the the days are, except for a few companies, I don't think many people will ever go back to being in the office on Friday. Um, some people not are a making, bad thing. It's not, <laughs> not, it's, no, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. But as we think about flexibility and putting a stake in the ground of whatever our policies are, we also need to make sure that we're thinking about how we are measuring performance. Because so many people, right or wrong, measured performance by walking around. And that's you know one of the things that happened during COVID. People were like, huh, I'm walking around. Nobody's here. And so... There's that piece combined with this idea of we can't assume that people aren't working just because we can't see them. So how are we really measuring productivity, performance, creativity? I'm hearing more from companies that, they, that people are just as, if, if not more, productive being at home, um, but we are starting to lose the creativity and innovation, which completely makes sense. Like Zoom is good for certain things and you can have one-on-ones. Like we're having a perfectly fine, um, hopefully better than fine conversation <laughs> here right now. But as you start to add more people to the mix and manage groups, doing it virtually just is not the same. Right. And I couldn't imagine like an advertising company you know, how do you come up with that? Right. You just, you know, you're not all in a room together and, oh, that, oh, that. And, you know, there's for sure the, the creativity piece. It's, it is, it's really interesting. And, and when you say, you know, like being in the office. So when I was in my twenties, um, I was an entrepreneur. I did event planning. I got married and it was like, oh, I need a, a J-O-B. I uh, can't be an entrepreneur as a, you know, young wife. But so I went to work for my old business partner's dad he did a lot of court work in eminent domain. And it's like, we worked, if you had a court case or, you know, that's what we did. And you might have to do a 12 hour day. And then he'd be like, okay, well, there's nothing going on tomorrow. Take the time off. And he retired. And the new guy came in. He's like, oh no, no, you work eight 30 to five 30. You take 30 minutes for lunch. And the whole team, all of our productivity gone. Like we were just like, what are you talking about? So I think that's a really positive change in that you, you don't have to be in an office eight hours a day to be productive, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And, and I think there are positive things that came out of the pandemic that we can do. Well, we did every, many of the knowledge workers did everything from home for all that time. Um, so we know that certain things can be done from home. We did them well, um, which, but it doesn't mean that we always should. Um, so the real question is, 
you know, let's let's just be strategic and let's figure out what what should we do in the office, what should we do on the days that we're home. And you know, I talk about in the book. There's um, I I have an acronym which is why I sort of frame flexibility that leaders need to ace flexibility. So A, the A stands for agency or autonomy. How can we give pretty much every job some agency or autonomy over her schedule? And I think where there's a will, there's a way. I have an example in the book where there is a, um, uh, a Neiman Marcus sales associate role that you would never think could work from home. Next thing you know, um, everybody goes home in the pandemic and the stores are closed and Neiman Marcus rethinks um, these roles. And if you're a sales associate at a high-end store, a couple hours a week, you need to put new fashions on Instagram and you need to text your email clients. You're not going to work from home four days a week, but for a couple hours a week, it, it can be fine. And that actually can make all the difference to do a few appointments, sleep in, go to the gym, take your kid to school. The C in ACE is, is curating connection, making sure that you're not just coming in and sitting by yourself, you know, staring at a wall, doing exactly what you could be doing from home. And then the E is the, is the equity piece. We want to think about it through the lens of equity, even though it won't all be equal. But it's never been equal. I mean, it's never... It's the world we live in. It's, you know, it's not black and white. There's gray. So, um, and I don't even know if you know an answer to this, but with all of everything going on with AI, ChatGPT, things like that, how do you see the workplace changing? And same thing, is the hybrid, like, is the person, like, I'm getting really good at ChatGPT, like, really good. And I've started from the beginning. And so I can whip things out at home. Like, let's say I was working for a company, probably much faster than, somebody who doesn't know it. So I'm just curious what you think about the future of AI in the workplace. Yeah. So one of the things that I've been seeing and hearing about in companies is that the key for all of us with our jobs is to really understand how to interact with, with AI. So for example, you know, a radiologist isn't going to lose her job because of AI, but a radiologist who doesn't know how to interact with AI will. And so what I am seeing, and it makes me hopeful, is that um, the, the human skills are that much more important. You need them earlier in your career as AI has come into the picture, because if AI is doing some of the analytical work that you might have done or, an assist, or you know, somebody that works for you might have done, that then is being done by your new AI assistant. And then the next level person needs to be able to have the analytical skills and the influence skills to maybe influence people on your team to choose one of the three things that chat GPT has, has, you know, spits out. And so it really is, is understanding how critical those human skills are, making sure that we give people the training and, and elevating the importance of those skills and, and giving them practice to use it. Yeah. I'm finding, I do a lot of work at my alma mater um, and, and the colleges don't know what to do with it. And they're, you know, they're trying to ban it from the kids using it, which you're never going to be able to do. It's not going away. So like we were just saying, how do we bring it into the workplace? How do we bring it into the college atmosphere? So it's not cheating. It's not stealing. It's, you know, understanding what it is and how I have just found that it, it makes me better. Like I can come up with an idea and I use it almost as like a creative partner right next to me. Like, well, what do you think about this? And what, what if we did this and then give me some ideas? And then it's like, Oh, 
this is so good. So. Yeah, that's it. No, it's great. Well, it's funny. Um, two two things that jumped out with on the college front. I'm sure many of your listeners have kids in college. Um, my one friend, her daughter called her in a total panic the other day, saying that there are a few kids, like I guess, in the back of this big lecture that were supposedly using ChatGPT, and they're going to mess up the curve. And so they were basically cheating. And I said to my friend, I was like, look, well, people, there's always been people that cheat, like always. So they're yeah. just cheating with chat GPT. And there's always been people that snuck in little papers to screw up the curve. Um, so that's nothing new other than a new medium. But then the, the other example is my son is a freshman in college and his writing seminar um, is writing with AI. So like that's his, that. The, the goal is to write with AI and, and his whole class is about learning how to use it. I love that. And it is, it's really not a, it's not a bad thing. I think people are so afraid of it. Again, if you use it, they have to understand that they're sourcing data that, so somebody else wrote it. So you can't plagiarize. You can't, you know, you, you don't want to steal what somebody else has copyrighted or is their work. But again, I, I like using it as a creative assistant. And even writing, like, give me some ideas of how to flush out this idea, which I think it only can make us better in, in college, in the workplace, anywhere. By yeah. Like I said, it's not going away. No, it is not. No. So let's talk a little bit more because your, your one book is relatively new, correct? Yeah, The Retention Revolution came out in September. Okay. So let's, I mean, obviously, there, and we've talked about it a little bit, but, you know, what are like the top three things you're seeing again, and this is all very, you know, post COVID that, that changed the world. It changed everything. Yep. So interestingly, um, many of the trends that I write about in the book, they were not brand new, but they were accelerated during the pandemic. So even when I wrote bring your human to work in 2018, I wrote about, you know, X amount of people are going to be working remote by 2020 or 20, so whatever it was. And then all of a Little. sudden overnight, <laughs> boom, it's everybody. So the, so it wasn't altogether new, but like we had to address it all overnight. And the, but the big picture idea in the book is that it's kind of where you started the questions with, with four or five generations of people working in the workplace, living longer, working longer, um, new generations are looking at their careers very differently. You know, gone are the days where, you know, people are staying with one company, even two, three or four companies, they're looking at their career more like a portfolio. So if companies understand that and, and can kind of address that early during onboarding and to say, you know, we, you want to try to connect people early and often with your values and your mission to get them up to speed and engage quickly. And then while people are with you, help them develop up, down, and sideways. Gen Z, the newest generation in the workplace found, a Gallup study found that they, even more important than compensation, is their desire to grow and develop on the job. And if there aren't as many rungs in the ladder, you need to get creative about how to give them opportunities and projects you know, around and across the organization. And then when the people, when the person comes to you and says, you know, Christina, I am leaving. The goal then is to take a deep breath and um, try to refrain from the, you're dead to me, don't let the door hit you. Because the retention revolution is all about keeping your employees connected. And so how do we professionalize our offboarding? How do we get creative about how to keep people connected through 
you know, whether it's inviting them to be part of ongoing learning and development, whether maybe the company has a website, they have quarterly get togethers, whatever it is, we are seeing so many boomerangs, people that left because they thought the grass was greener and it was actually brown, or people are in a new life stage and maybe they want to work part-time or figure out just creative ways to stay connected. And if you don't leave gracefully, it's going to be hard to bring those people back in any capacity. So it sort of is related to even the first part of our conversation about you know, the women and, and being older and trying to figure out how to, how to stay relevant in these companies. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting that you say that. Um, my daughter is in a job she loves, loves, and she has four roommates who are in jobs they don't love and they make a lot of money and she doesn't make a lot of money. And, you know, the person above her was terminated and she, she took that role, but because it's a big company, she's not technically allowed to have that role. And I get, I get frustrated for her because it's big corporate and it's like, these companies need to figure out here. You've got a great employee who loves her job, who, and all she's asking for is to get the title of the work she's already doing. You right. know, you're, you're like, hello, but it's, it's such a big company. They don't, they don't see that. That's why it's great. Because they're, like, they're saying just because she doesn't have X amount of years of experience. Yes. They won't give right. it. Did she at least, did she get any bump in responsibility or is she, I mean, well, I mean, oh, in terms she, of compensation, a little bit. So what they did is they kind of moved her here to try to get her boss loves her. Um, and again, they keep, you know, it's just, it's just the system. It's the process. And a lot of these big companies need to get with the program, like you're saying, and, you know, keep these people because most of them are going to bounce anyway. I see my friend's kids, they're working and then like a year and they're taking a sabbatical. They go to Asia or Europe for three months and come back and find another job and then make money for a year. And then they go do it again. Oh my gosh. It's so, it's so different. I would tell your daughter though, I'd say, don't, you know, at the end of the day, I wouldn't worry so much about the title. It stinks not to have it, but if yeah. you're getting the recognition, if you're getting the real responsibility at the end of the day, that's, what's going to help you going forward and hopefully getting the acknowledgement and getting some of the, the compensation piece yeah. um, that, you know, at the end of the day, you'll get it eventually. But it will come. Side is that I is that I tell I tell companies that um, I'm like titles are free. What are you doing? But and they but it is. But she does feel very appreciated. So that's good. Where a lot of people don't. It's just the red tape to get through it. Yeah. Um, but it is. It's really interesting. And 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 you said that we were just talking about the other night about this generation is so. Like, like you said, the, the grass is greener over there. It's greener over there. It's like, it's really not like, but everybody, you know, all the helicopter parents and everyone wants to fix everything and like, oh no, we, we're going to, we're going to make your life better. So, but you, you've got to figure out failure and hard jobs are hard. Life is hard. It's well, right. work, work is work, but I would say, yeah. you know, and, and it, and you can also tell your daughter, I mean, 80% of the people that leave jobs, it's because of their boss, their manager. And so if you have a good boss um, much of the rest of it will, will get worked out. And that's why on the company side, a big focus of mine, there's a chapter in the book that's called managers are having a moment and how this is a moment, um, to elevate and celebrate managers and give them the skills to actually manage because it's always been hard to be a manager, but never as much as it is now 
with the new generation trying to understand what they want and who they are um, and, and, you know, deal with all of the post-COVID, um, you know, issues surrounding people that came into the workforce during that time. And then, you know, if you're a manager in a company and you're going from two days in the office to four days, they say, okay, Christina, you're the manager. You go tell everybody. Right. Well, <laughs> oh, great. It's hard. Well, and then I, I thought too, you know, during COVID, a lot of the people, you know, late forties, early fifties who were in managerial roles took early retirement. Like, I don't want to go back. And it pushed these younger people up that probably weren't ready to do it. So that puts a whole nother twist on all of this. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's so fascinating. Uh, and I mean, where do you see it going? I know you said, okay, so Fridays, no more Fridays, but like long-term, do you, do we need to get these young people in, in more with older people? It's like, I love what you're talking about, like the, the generational, the five generation. I mean, what you can learn, you know, what a 25 year old can learn from a 50, 60 year old, even a you know, yeah. 70 year old is unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to only something like 20% of people want to be fully remote and 20% want to be fully in the office. Most people want a little bit of flexibility. Um, and I think where it's going to ultimately play out is it's going to be self-selection that, that if they're, that younger people are going to say, and my kids have done it. Like, I don't want to work at that company. You never come in the office. Um, there's one of the big consulting firms that I won't name, but a lot of my friends' kids have said it's not a great culture because there's no, no, there's no coordinated way people are in the office. And so I think, you know, I'm starting to see the pendulum swing back a little that this, okay, this being home all the time thing is getting kind of old um, for for many people. So, but, but, but if you do bring people in, you need to make sure that senior people are there, that they are engaged. It goes back to the basics that just because you're bringing them in the office doesn't mean that their lives and their learning and that everything's going to get better. You've got to make sure that you do that in conjunction with having leaders that are actually going to lead and manage. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating time, a fascinating topic. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for all of that. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see, it sounds like we have kids about the same age to see how, you know, the next five, 10 years play out and, and women our age, like, again, I think it's such a disservice to these younger people not having our experience and, you know, the thing, the things that we can share with them. Okay. So we end every episode with the same two questions. Uh, what is the greatest thing that you have accomplished since you turned 50? Written three books. All three were after you turned 50. Yeah. I, um, I remember I went away for my 50th birthday, which is in May and I wasn't going to go because I had so much going on. I go away once a year by myself. And I was like, oh, I can't go. And I'm like, you know what? Forget it. If there's ever a year to go, it's this year. And, um, and yeah, my book came out in September of that year. So all three, three books in five years, 50 to 55. Wow. Congratulations. And I just have to add on, cause I'm really curious. You say you go out, go away once a year by yourself. Uh, I have a really good friend who lost her husband a little over a year ago and she went, did some traveling by herself and came back and said, everybody should do this. It was, yeah. she said, transformational for her. So tell us a little bit about that. 
I've been doing it. You know, I, I go by myself, but I, there are other people where I go. I go to some different places, but when my twins were um, two and my son was a newborn, when he was six months old, I was done nursing. And I was like, you know what? I just need to like clear my head and get a break. And my friends were like, what are you doing? I can't even imagine being able like to, to do that. And I was like, well, I'm going to have to do it to be able to, you know, just survive (laughs) everybody, everything. Um, and so I usually go to some type of, a you know, retreat with, with hiking and meditation and maybe a massage or a facial thrown in there. But, um, but yeah, it's, I get up every morning and I hike and then, you know, just, I'm not a great, I'm not great at meditating, but to me, like if I'm really physical, it like just helps me clear my head, but yeah, I've been doing it for, my son is 18. So I've been doing it for 18 years. Wow. Good for you. And the more I hear this, the more I'm inspired to, to do something. That's great. Okay. And then where do you see yourself in 10 years? 10 years, um, 10 years, I would say hopefully a decent golfer, which I have been trying to do. That is my new plan. Um, starting this year, I've like dabbled in it and I was like, all right, if I don't commit some hours, actual hours to it, um, I am, uh, it's going to be a problem. And, um, gosh, in the next 10 years, well, if you wrote three books in five years, any more books in you? <laughs> no, I mean, maybe, or maybe a very different kind of book, but no, yeah. I, I think it's more what I'm, my next act is really taking what I'm calling this human workplace trilogy, which it, and saying, okay, what, what, what can I do with it to really make an impact? Because I've, you know, three books in five years, it's like, the spinning and you're constantly getting, you know, stories and anecdotes and not that I won't keep doing that, but I do think that the content is evergreen. Um, this idea of why a more human workplace is good for people and great for business. So, you know, I, I don't think it's going to go out of style, but it's more about right. let's, let's figure out how to take it and really get it to as many people, um, as I can. Good for you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This is really great great conversation. Yeah. Well, so, so great to chat and we'll have to continue to chat about our, our kids and helping them navigate their, their world in this, uh, retention revolution. Yeah. That might be a whole panel discussion. We do (laughs) and bring a lot of people in. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening or for watching this episode of Living Ageless and Bold. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit subscribe. And if you like the episode, I hope that you will give us a great review. You can also head over to livingagelessandbold.com and sign up for information, inspiration, and exclusive opportunities for us, women over 55. Thanks for listening. And remember, no matter what you do, keep living ageless and bold.